Welcome back to Cherry Beckard's Government and Public Sector Podcast Series. In this episode, we are going to focus on opportunities for state and local governments to fund broadband implementation with a specific emphasis on compliance and monitoring considerations. I am Denise Lippiner, and I lead Cherry Beckard's state and local advisory practice. We have two great guests for you today. Let's start with Paul. Paul, will you please introduce yourself? Yes, hello. Thanks, Denise. Yes, I'm uh, Paul Fokers. I'm a a senior manager with Cherry Beckert. I spent almost 30 years working in local government, was an assistant manager for for two cities and two counties in Maryland and Florida. So really got the the full range of experience uh, working in local government and uh, the importance of value uh, that that provides, but then also in those positions uh, interacting with uh, the states uh, as well as the federal government and I've uh, been working uh, with Trey Beckert for uh, for about a year and a half. And uh, so it's a pleasure uh, to be here and look forward to talking about really the amazing opportunities to address broadband needs uh, throughout the nation. Great. Thank you, Paul. Bob, can, I'd appreciate it if you can introduce yourself now. Yes, I'm Bob Loeb. I'm vice president and co-owner of Roca Loeb LLC. As an economist, I've testified on behalf of public advocates in broadband cases in numerous states. I testified on broadband availability, on broadband competition, in which I mapped uh, the locations of customers of small telephone companies versus the location of customers uh, who were served by cable companies. I also have testified on the cost of fiber networks. I filed a report in a for the IRS in a district court uh, on a universal service proceeding. You can't imagine how I felt when I got the call from IRS. And instead of asking me for money, they said they would pay me. And um, that's one special opportunity that is really thrilled a lifetime. Thank you for the introduction, Bob. Really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you um, participating in today's podcast. So. Um, Let's start off with an overview of the funding opportunities for our audience. What specific acts and digital equity programs will we be talking about today? Paul, why don't you take this one first? Uh, Thanks, Denise. Yeah, I'm just going to hit on a couple of the big ones, and then uh, Bob's got uh, got the the in-depth knowledge on uh, really on those as well as uh, uh, numerous other uh, funding uh, programs that are available to address broadband needs. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, the amount of funding and the variety of, uh, of funding programs has really just expanded uh, tremendously over the last couple of years. But one of the, 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 the initial uh, larger sources of funding came from the American Rescue Plan Act, uh, and, that, uh, the, and that the federal government was providing uh, relief, coronavirus uh, relief funding, uh, direct aid, uh, but also allowed for spending flexibility. Uh, that included uh, infrastructure, uh, which includes broadband, and uh, that was um, uh, that was has really been used, I think, effectively by quite a few states, and is being used effectively by states uh, and local governments to help support broadband needs in states and communities. And uh, again, accessibility and, and really flexible use of those dollars to address access, affordability, and reliability of broadband uh, in our communities. Um, and so that's certainly a significant one. And then, uh, then the other uh, that was referenced is the uh, Infrastructure Invas- Investment and Jobs Act, and it, also known as the Infrastructure Bill. 
Uh, that provided, I think, a total of $65 billion towards uh, broadband, uh, and then most significantly, a uh, the broadband equity access and deployment uh, program, and that's about $42.5 billion. And that was uh, really a very targeted effort, a uh, very well-funded and targeted effort uh, to support uh, planning efforts and really uh, building capacity in state broadband offices uh, and uh, their ability to be able to outreach, outreach and coordinate with local local communities, and then providing for oversight by the National Telecommunication Information Administration, uh, and the prioritization being unserved and underserved communities, and uh, there's certainly more details in that. And then there was also a uh, coronavirus capital projects fund of $10 billion that was uh, was was set up as well. So those are, I think, some of the some of the the, the bigger ones. But I'll turn it over to Bob, who again has more in-depth uh, details on those, but also more knowledge on some of the uh, the other programs that are available through a variety of federal agencies as well. Okay. Thank you. Um, so let's go back to the um, Infrastructure Act. It's divided into four parts. It has a broadband equity and access deployment program, which is known as BEAD. Um, there's 42 billion of that, of which approximately each state gets 100 million and the NTA gets administrative money. So that's about six out of the 42 has already been allocated. The other 36 billion is going to be allocated very soon. The FCC has just announced that it's going to release on May 30th um, its revised national broadband map. I expect the NTIA to use that revised map sometime between now and hopefully June 30th to tell the states how much of that additional 36 billion they will have. And that money will be allocated on the basis of the unserved locations in the state compared to the unserved locations nationwide. Okay, so that that's one important date that you should be aware of when you're going to get the new money allocated to you under this very important act. The other thing that um, as the two uh, major um, programs that Paul was looking at, the Infrastructure Act and the Treasury money, you have to remember that they have different service requirements. Also, the Infrastructure Act provides money for the middle mile, uh, which is from, you know, sort of head end or wire center to the Internet backbone. It only allocated a billion dollars and the NTA has already received over five billion dollars of, of requests for that one billion dollars of money. And so the NTA is in the process of analyzing those requests and figuring out who's going to get the one billion dollars. Okay, and there's also tribal money, as you know that it just means this money is designated for helping tribal lands have greater access. Then there are other programs by other federal agencies. The two major other federal agencies involved is the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, and the Rural Utility Service, which is under the Department of Agriculture. Thank you, Paul and Bob. I didn't realize that there were so many different funding opportunities available to the state and local governments for this. Um, that was very insightful. I'd like to now discuss what state and local governments need to consider when looking to utilize these funds. Bob, can you give us your perspective on this? Well, the first thing that the states must do is 
conform to NTIA uh, rules and regulations that they provided uh, for um, how to, to submit what is known as the preliminary proposal. And within that preliminary proposal, each state entity must include a challenge process. Okay, in order to have that challenge process approved by the NTIA, the first thing the state must do is to publish a list of eligible locations. Okay, there's two factors in the eligible locations that you need to be aware of. First, is the location either unserved, meaning it has less than 25-3 service, or is the location underserved, meaning that it has less than 100 slash 20 uh, broadband speed at, at its location. Um, once they've done that, they, they need to go and double check with the broadband funding map. And what's there is all of the proposals under those other programs that I mentioned earlier. In other words, what locations are going to be covered by the FCC, what locations are going to be covered by the RUS and the Treasury projects. So the state must combine all its knowledge about underserved and unserved with commitments by other agencies. And then it publishes this list of eligible locations for the BEAD program. Then it allows anybody to challenge those locations. Are they being served at the speeds in which the service providers claim they are? Once the challenge comes in, the state entity must allow the provider to rebut the, the accusation. Then the state makes a decision whether the information is, is acceptable, okay? Um, challenges can be about the speed. Is the speed correct? Also, and this is an important one and one that, that really uh, is going to be hard to decide because a defense could include convincing evidence that the provider plans to build at that location. And that's going to be very difficult, I think, for state entities to really evaluate. Then once the proposals have been accepted and, the, and something is being built, the state entity must establish a process for monitoring the build out of the network. Okay, and I think there are four ways in which you could monitor this build out. First, you could have what's known as real time monitoring. That's when um, the workmen carry a, a cell phone or another recording device and it will record a date, a GPS location, uh, a picture of what's actually happening, the activity, and it'll also record inventory data so that the, the entity building will know what's in place. The second way is like universal tracking after the fact. So the state entity under this way will hire an engineer to go out and look at the build after it's been built and determine whether or not the proper milestones have been built and has the project been built according to the proposal and the expectations of the state entity. The third way is sample tracking, where you send the engineer out, but you only send the engineering out to a certain limited number of locations. 
And then the final way, which I would never uh, recommend, is self-certification of milestones. That's like asking the student to check his own exam. And um, that does happen. I've been involved in programs where that has happened, where you know the entity just gives the uh, provider a list of uh, items, the provider checks them, signs it, and sends it back in. But um, I wouldn't recommend that for anyone. Okay, so those are the things that you have to happen immediately. Okay, after you get your money. Thank you, Bob. Um, Paul, what are your perspectives on this? I just want to affirm and support what what Bob said. Just uh, there, there's a there's a huge amount of responsibility and accountability that comes with the use of of these federal funds, and really assuring that they're being being used for eligible activities, and that uh, that the dollars are actually achieving the performance standards, the outcomes that are expected and required. Um, and there's different ways to, you know, that that states and, and local governments can, uh, you know, can try to achieve that. And certainly one of those areas, is, which I think is really important, it's really uh, building in on the front end of taking a look at what are our, what are the risks? Because these are huge dollars. They're, you know, look at the the the, the states, uh, you know, and their programs. These are these are huge dollars that are being spent on these programs and lots of different uh, separate uh, discrete uh, grants. Uh, but really a risk assessment and what are the risks associated with uh, the managing and disbursement of those dollars, assuring that they're being spent on eligible activities, and then uh, assuring that the, the outcome uh, that is expected uh, is being achieved. And as, as Bob was saying, it's, it's more than check the box uh, from, you know, from my perspective anyway. You know, it's this is a generational opportunity to build in, you know, I think future pro, to the degree possible future proof uh, uh, access, broadband access. And, uh, you know, so more important, I think, to make sure that the compliance and monitoring is a robust effort that is not only assuring compliant financial compliance, but assuring that the, the, the broadband access that's achieved is is meeting the standards that uh, that were identified. That's really what put Paul. Thank you very much. So, Bob, can you discuss the cost considerations for governments looking to implement such programs? Sure. Um, usually, uh, when we look at costs of a project like this, we we divide the cost between the capital cost, which are essentially the cost of constructing the network, and the operating costs, which are the cost of running the network. The Infrastructure Act will cover 75% of the capital cost. Okay? That means somebody else has to come up with the other 25%. Okay? Those sources could be either a private firm putting up its own money, a state, a municipality, or federal funds. But you must be careful when you look at the federal funds as a source because some of the federal money is allowed to support these projects and some is not. For example, the capital project funds in the American Rescue Plan are allowed to support the the BEAD and Infrastructure Act uh, projects, but FCC funds are not allowed to be used as part of the match. So you have to be very careful when you add money from federal sources. Okay, and then the revenue that you get must recover the operating costs, depreciation, 
and return on that portion of the capital that is supplied by the private sources. Okay, so that's what the revenue must cover. But when you're thinking about these things, it's not really adequate to completely separate capital costs from operating expenses because the type of capital you put in can affect the type of operating costs you have. I make the point because say you put in fiber, okay, and you want to compare that to a wireless uh, application, a fixed wireless application. The fiber is going to cost you more upfront, but it has a longer service life than the wireless application. So what could happen that even though it costs more upfront, the fiber's annual depreciation costs could be lower than the annual depreciation costs of a wireless system that costs a lot less in, in, in the first instance. Okay, so that's, you know, you need to look at the total cost of the system over the life expectancy of the network. The next thing that you have to remember is that fiber to the home networks have very few moving parts. They don't have batteries or fans that keep the batteries working. Those things exist in a lot of legacy systems. So what that means is that fiber networks operating costs are usually a lot lower than the operating costs of the systems that they can be com compared to, such as the old DSL systems or the fixed wireless systems. So you have to keep all this in mind and you have to look at what the total project cost will be and what the total revenue you can get to support that project. Thank you, Bob. So now, so once states and local governments have this program up and running, what do they need to do to ensure the longevity of these programs to continue serving their communities once implemented? What I would start with would be, I would request the providers to submit their anticipated prices and their anticipated take rates for each service offered. And then you multiply one by the other and you get the projected revenue so that you can see whether or not the provider thinks that it's going to be able to get revenue to support this network that it's building. You also have to remember that at least one of those price offerings must meet the Infrastructure Act's requirement for an affordable rate. Okay. After the construction is finished, you need to have the service, the provider give you updates on a regular basis as to, you know, how many customers have actually bought anything and what they're buying. Okay. And then you must make sure that the providers are, act, you know, that reported these speeds and said that they are, their network would, you know, be wonderful and do everything that anybody would ever want. You have to make sure that the customers are actually getting the services that the providers advertised. Okay. And then finally, if the project appears to need support, which some of these projects may, okay, the FCC has indicated that it may supply support after it reviews the outcomes of all the building, but it has not guaranteed anybody money. It just says that it's going to take that opportunity to look at these projects and to see if their operating costs are so high, okay, that they may need continuing support. And what 
each state entity must do, it must get an approximate value of those projects that may need support, how much support would they be asking the FCC in the future? Paul, do you have any perspectives on what state and local governments need to do um, to ensure longevity of these programs? Sure, and I think Bob did a great job of of uh, addressing uh, addressing that context, and they need to do that. And to me, you know, a lot of these things, it's always it's always really helpful to be thinking about this on the front end. So as the as the program is being developed, uh, you know, building and thinking about and trying to build in sustainability into the plans, uh, because again, I think you know, talking about reliability of the system. You know, so that and that reliability needing to 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 be sustained, not just uh, even if it's tested to shit meets the standards. Well, is it going to meet the standards a year from now, two years from now, um, five years from now? Uh, and then affordability. You know, is that affordability going to be able to be maintained so that you know the access that's being provided to those folks uh, uh, that didn't have it, uh, you know, that they can maintain that at they maintain that, and it's that's that's all about the access. So it's really just you know, trying to trying to build the sustainability and then that the program over the longer term is hopefully able to continue to achieve the objectives that were set for the uh, uh, the grant programs to begin with. Um, and so I think thinking about it, building it in and then having ways to be able to test and verify. Thank you, Paul. We've covered a lot during this podcast, but to wrap things up, can each of you share a key takeaway for our listeners? If they only remember one thing from this podcast, what would it be? Paul, why don't you go first? Uh, thanks. Yeah. So, I, you know, there's different approaches that states and local groups can have in terms of how they do this. And, uh, and you know, sometimes it may be, you know, well, we want to go, you know, private sector approach. We've got the existing broadband providers. We want to work with those providers to expand, uh, expand the network, expand access and address these issues. Uh, and then uh, in others, you've got certainly local governments uh, that have been focused on this and, 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 and working to try to address uh, the digital uh, equity uh, gap as well. Um, and I think I think one key message is, you know, uh, from my perspective, it's not one or the other. Uh, it's really looking for cooperative efforts and partnerships between the private and public sector. So that really the, the broadband providers as well as the local governments need to be working in partnership and collaborative efforts. And uh, that, and hopefully the way that the program is approached is a way that encourages uh, that that be done, not only at the initiation of the program, but on an ongoing basis. All right, thank you, Paul. Bob, what is your key takeaway for our listeners today? I think that the takeaway should be, don't be afraid to ask for a lot of details. And then once you've got these details, you're going to have to track and monitor the construction of the project against the proposal to make sure it is done on time and on budget. Appreciate Paul and Bob for joining us today. If you want to contact Paul, he can reach that Paul Folkers. That's P-A-U-L dot F-O-L-K-E-R-S at cbh.com. And Bob can be reached at R-L-O-U-V-E at R-O-L-K-A-L-O-U-V-E dot com. We appreciate you for listening to this podcast and hope you found it informative. Be sure to follow or subscribe to our podcast on your preferred listening platform. And 
Look out for our next podcast that will be focused on topics that state and local governments should be considering. Thank you.